You are listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Stay tuned for the Heartland Labor Forum, radio that talks back to the boss. To the Heartland Labor Forum, a weekly show of news, information, and commentary by and for the working people of Kansas City. This show is produced by a team of volunteers from a broad range of workplaces and unions. The views expressed on the Heartland Labor Forum are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any unions involved. And welcome again to the Heartland Labor Forum. I'm Judy Ansel. Tonight's show is being underwritten by United Auto Workers Local 249 and Pipefitters Local 533. United Auto Workers Local 249 members building the best Ford trucks and vans in the world. And Pipefitters Local 533 being the best in the industry is earned. Our craftsmanship, brotherhood, training, and job safety make the difference. Building and buying union create better wages and living standards for all working people. And the Heartland Labor Forum and KKFI thank our underwriters for their support. On tonight's show, do you ever think about the fact that just about everything you buy passes through a warehouse? Then it gets delivered in a truck to a store or your house? The people who make that happen are often members of the Teamsters Union. Tonight on the show, we talk to Jerry Wood, president of Teamsters Local 955, our warehouse union, and his mom, Jenny Agee, pioneer woman truck driver and Teamster organizer, and has she got stories. In the news, morning Julia Reichert, labor filmmaker, and colleges East and West are on strike. Our feature at the end of the show is Remember Our Struggle, and in the wake of the railway workers being denied the right to strike, we'll talk about a nationwide wildcat strike. And now for the news. Now news from our side, December 8th, 2022. The strike of nearly 1,800 part-time faculty at the new school in New York City, which began November 16th, continues after the union rejected the university's last best and final offer last week with 95% voting no. The teachers want better pay and better working conditions. As the strike continues, angry parents who pay $78,700 a year in tuition and room and board for their kids are threatening a lawsuit. A number of full-time faculty have been refusing to teach classes in solidarity with the new school whose origins were in progressive pro-labor values a few decades ago. Now the university told the full-timers they better get back to teaching or else. Earlier this week, the administration sent out an email seeking scabs to grade the work turned in by the striking faculty students. After the email became public, the administration framed it as a mistake. The part-time faculty is represented by the United Auto Workers. They make up 90% of the faculty. Many of the prestigious resumes and fancy degrees, but live in poverty. The union has initiated a boycott of new school events until a fair contract is reached and negotiations have resumed. Meanwhile, the largest strike of college teachers is taking place on the West Coast in California, where 48,000 staff in the University of California system. Besides that, grad students at Yale are unionizing and adjunct and part-time faculty in the City University of New York are watching what happens at New School as their contracts negotiations begin soon. 
Labor historian Nelson Lichtenstein asks in Descent magazine whether the United Auto Workers, UAW, will soon change the A in UAW to academic as they lead the 48,000 academic workers on 10 campuses on strike since mid-November in California. Lichtenstein said it reminds him of the showdown strike in 1936 against General Motors in Flint, Michigan, which led to the organization of the U.S. auto industry. He says, quote, anything that happens at the University of California will have an impact extending beyond campus quads. The UC budget is $44 billion a year. It enrolls 295,000 students in its 10 campuses, and there are 227,000 faculty and staff. Graduate students and non-tenure-track instructors teach more than half of the classes, while thousands of postdoctoral post employees play a vital role in making UC a research powerhouse. What happens at UC will set the standard for an industry, higher education, that today employs more people than the federal government. Graduate teaching assistants earn about $24,000 a year, but they want up to they want up to $54,000, more than twice as much as they make now. Postdocs want a minimum of $70,000, and all the strikers demand health care coverage for dependents and child care reimbursements. Lichtenstein calls this the rising of the precariat. He says, <clears throat> UC, striking, the UC strikers are part of a whole strata of college-educated workers, including Starbucks baristas, museum curators, journalists, and retail workers at REI and Apple, who are revolting against a wage standard and dead-end work regime that promised to keep them in near poverty for decades. In academia, an impoverished apprenticeship was once considered a brief prelude to a more secure and prosperous career. But that promise has been utterly discounted by the university itself, which has constructed an enterprise model that requires a huge class of precarious adjuncts to toll outside, alongside a shrinking number of tenured professors who receive high prestige and pay. KCUR reported that Governor Mike Parson's administration improperly tried to starve the labor union representing Missouri corrections officers by cutting it off from dues deducted from paychecks, according to a ruling of the Western District Court of Appeals. In a unanimous opinion, the court ordered the state to resume dues deductions for the Missouri Corrections Officers Association, affirming on every point a September 2021 order issued by Cole County Circuit Judge John Beatum. The State Office of Administration stopped withholding dues in December 2019, citing the failure to reach a new collective bargaining agreement. The union, in response, told the agency that it retained its status as a state employee association, first awarded in 2000 and allowed to collect dues through payroll withholding. In Tuesday's ruling, Chief Judge Gary Witt wrote that the state gave shifting reasons for cutting the union off from funds, including a rules change that would deny the union status as an association because it engaged in collective bargaining on behalf of members. Since the state stopped collecting dues, the union has tried to collect the money directly from members, but not all have paid. The union staff has been cut from one to three as a result of the revenue loss. The practical result of the rule is to give Office of Administration an unfair advantage in the negotiations by starving the labor union for union dues funding during the contract negotiations process, Judge Witt wrote. He found that Missouri violated the fundamental right to collective bargaining guaranteed by the Missouri Constitution and freedom of speech and association rights protected by the state and federal constitutions. The action to limit funding for the Correction Officers Union came at a time when the state was appealing a $113.7 million judgment for unpaid overtime for more than 1,000 employees of the Department of Corrections. The union sponsored the lawsuit, which ultimately resulted in a state payout of $49.5 million in back pay and a promise of $54 million in future compensation. Labor filmmaker Julia Reichert died on December 1st of cancer. 
She was 76. Julia and her husband, Stephen Bogner, were interviewed on the Heartland Labor Forum November 22, 2019, about their Academy Award-winning documentary, American Factory. Reichert was considered a godmother of the indie film industry. The director, producer, and writer also received Oscar nominations for the 1976 Union Maids, an iconic labor film about Depression-era women, union organizers, which you can find on the internet. She also was nominated for Seeing Red, Stories of American Communists in 1983, and The Last Truck, Closing of a GM Plant in 2009, which was the prequel to American Factory about the resurrection of the Dayton, Ohio GM plant by a Chinese billionaire, auto glass maker, and the cultural differences between management and union. Reichert's last film, which she made while suffering from cancer, was a documentary, 9 to 5, The Story of a Movement, which premiered on PBS in 2021. Ellen Cassidy, who was on last week's Heartland Labor Forum, was featured in it. The news from our side was read tonight by Tom Gebkin, Judy Ansel, Judy Morgan, and I'm Stephen Hill. Well, a warehouse girl am I, and I'm telling you no lie. I dash around the maze of shelves to pick the crap you buy. I pack it all in boxes and do thousands every day. I race the clock or else they'll dock my very meager pay. But we go, go, go. They time our every breath. And while you get to stay at home, we're optimized to death. But we go. I don't get no vacation or no days off when I'm sick. The people want delivery, same day with just one click. I can't get 40 hours and I can't afford health care. This endless speed and corporate greed are crosses I must bear. But we go, go, go. And that song was Warehouse Picker's Song by Chomp Chomp. If you bought it at a store, it was sent to the store by a truck after a dock worker picked it off the shelf or a storage area and brought it to the loading dock. Everything you get from a grocery store was loaded on a truck by a warehouse employee. Everything you need, whether from across town or across the world, it spent some time on a truck and some time in a warehouse. Truck drivers and dock workers, many who are Teamsters, spend many hours making sure you can get what you need and want. The cold beer you might enjoy when you get home from work was loaded on a truck by a dock worker and delivered by a driver who are both Teamsters. On tonight's show, Labor Leader Series, we'll visit with Jerry Wood, President of International Brotherhood of Teamsters Local 955. He works hard every day to make sure 955 members are treated fairly in the workplace. Jerry's union career began in 1989. He was elected president business agent in 2012. He and his wife, Jill, have three children and one grandchild. Welcome to the show, Jerry. We really uh, appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you for having me. Uh, can you first talk to our audience about who Local 955 represents? I represent uh, associated wholesale grocer, uh, warehousemen, drivers, mechanics, and Everybody works in the building. We have a ag processing, an AGP plant up in St. Joe that uh, takes soybeans and makes salad oil and diesel fuel out of it. Uh, Wyandotte County Sheriff's Department, we represent the clerks in there uh, that work with the prisoners directly. Um, school bus drivers in St. Joe and just a little bit of everything. Yeah, so. So it, it goes beyond <clears throat> truck drivers then. Quite and, a bit, Yeah, yes. okay. So uh, you kind of talked about where you're people work that you represent can you go through that again so we know where they work uh, and, and and what they do, what they do in most terms of, them of their are jobs can't see uh, Missouri and Kansas and up at clear up St. Joe Missouri we represent across Brookfield uh, we got people that deliver milk groceries um, clerks that take care of their prisoners and over at Wyandotte County and make sure you know, they, the visitors get to come in and see them etc and then at the soybean plant the guys who and gals who work up there make all the soybean oil that actually makes shed spread if you eat shed spread that's soybean oil from uh, that's AGP. That's a 955? Yep. yep. <clears throat> so and then the shed spread's actually 41, local teams are local 41 so it's all union made. Okay so how many members do you have in 955? We have right at a thousand. And do you have to negotiate multiple contracts then? Yes we have about 20 contracts here. 20? Oh wow. my gosh that's a lot of contracts to manage. It's 
gets interesting sometimes. Is it almost like you're around negotiating with all the contracts? Usually, yeah, there's usually a contract yeah. open. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you come from a Teamster family. Oh, and by the way, I'm Tom Gepkin. I'm president of CWA Local <coughs> 6360, and I'm co-hosting today with Judy Morgan, uh, former president of AFT 691 and termed out state rep. Well, you come from a Teamster family, Jerry. Tell our audience how you got your start and what uh, sparked your interest in becoming active in your union. Well, it was kind of funny, actually. When I started, you know, I got a union job because the union job I knew from growing up was how I could raise my family. So from there, I was uh, had a grievance one time. I had been treated improperly and didn't get offered some overtime. So I went to the grievance hearing. Saw the opportunity for me to be able to stand up and see what the other union stewards did, so I could help my fellow workers and just jumped in there. Had no intention of doing it originally, but worked out pretty good, I think. So yeah, it sure did. Sometimes you start start out union leader, not planning to be a union leader. Like our friend Dave Coleman, he says, uh, <laughs> "It you don't find it, it finds you." I think that's true sometimes. So do you? Uh, do you have staff? Jerry? I have a separate, a separate business agent who's my secretary treasurer named Shane Thompson who does a heck of a job for us. And then I have an office manager, uh, Rhonda Olf. She's a, she just started with us, but she's awesome. Okay, so you have a relatively, not not a real big staff then no, to handle don't. all that work that you have to do. They keep We stay busy. <laughs> I bet, I bet. So I, as a former president of a local myself, the teachers union, I know how important it is to have a, a good executive board because you don't do all the work by yourself. You have to have other people helping you. So uh, tell us about your executive board. <clears throat> Our executive board are, of course, members from different locations you know bimble bakeries is another Sara Lee brother we represent we have some board members out of there we have some board members out of uh, associated grocer we kind of stayed try to stay diverse board to represent our membership uh, including where they work so we have, we have three trustees vice president secretary treasurer and recording secretary and all of them are very interested in, to work in what we're doing and help us organize and do other jobs so the term executive board really doesn't fit them. I think volunteers executive board fits them a lot better than, than just straight executive board. So what most all of them do that on a volunteer basis, your executive board? The, the executive board does get a uh, little penance uh, every month, but not a, not enough money for what they do. No, so right, it's I, yeah, uh, it yeah. is volunteer work. Right, right. That was the same way with my executive board. They were all volunteers. Do you rely rely on on them a lot for? strategy and and uh you know what I, your goals are and that kind of thing we do yes and okay. well, along with a lot of our members who are and retirees as well so. now, you know i was just thinking what is your geographic range uh, do you have a pretty large geographic range folks you represent uh, <laughs> yes and no i think we have and it's kind of odd because you know we try to get more women involved in some of the jobs we represent and some reason i don't know why it is we just sometimes fail at it they, i don't know if they don't want to do the work or just what it is but we have a pretty large geographic as far as the nationality and uh, race and but as far as men and women we actually have probably 80 90 percent men okay in terms of though the geography of do you represent can't you mostly just kansas city oh then? no it's yeah mostly kansas city uh, the about 50 50 kansas city missouri and kansas city kansas and uh general area okay they have a few out and outskirts so you go across straight lines you have to deal with both missouri which is not a right to work state but then you have to deal with kansas yes which is a right to work state yes so how does that uh, work out it's a uh, really not bad once you learn how to, to do it and work with it and if you work, educate your members and work with your members you usually don't have a lot of problem in a right to work state i don't agree with it i don't think a right to work a right freeload it is what it is but we don't have a lot of issues getting through that. It just takes a little more work. Okay. Uh, tonight on the Heartland Labor Forum, we're talking to Jerry Wood, who is president, business agent of the Teamsters Local 955. Uh, just going back real quick to the Kansas side, with that's right to work, it's education. And that education can come from the, the people they work with, from the stewards all the way up to you. It, it, it truly has to come from the people they work with and they have to see their business agent or myself i'm their agent in their building because for some reason they feel like you're not working for them if they don't see you enough but
but it truly has to come from the people they work with because you stand right beside somebody and every day you understand you know if they're paying their share and they understand what they're paying for they you can ed educate them the guy running it they just think you're the guy who wants their money so right. it really has to come from the workers well by looking at your the intro you've been the president business agent since 2012 so you've been in leadership positions for quite a while uh, what direction do you see your local going while you're at the helm we've been growing slowly growing but we're growing i'd like to see it grow quite a bit more even into more industry i think uh, we're especially in the midwest we are our union density is very low we need to we need to raise that up we need to work with it we everybody understands that the union set the bar for wages and working conditions mm -hmm. well it's hard to set the bar when you only represent you know 15 to 20 percent of the people which we don't represent but by seven percent of the people so mm -hmm. i think we're with us me at the helm i'm hoping we're going continuing to grow that's our goal uh, jerry how do you communicate with your members because it sounds you've got you've got a lot of you said 20 contracts that you actually have to negotiate and you've got probably lots of work sites i would guess so how do you how do you end up communicating with your membership well we try to do as much as we can uh, direct one-on-one -on -one. we you know, kind of touch them as we call it. you have to see somebody you have to shake their hand you have to talk to them so we try to be at our work sites each one of them once a month to visit with the members that are there. If there's a night shift, you try to make it at nights when you don't. Try to get out and see them as much as you can. We also do have a little Facebook page. It, does, it, it doesn't seem to do as much as it used to, but we have a Facebook page and we had an app that was had that we could direct shit or push messages out to talk to them. But the majority of the time it's face-to-face -face and, and through your stewards and your executive board. It can't be on. So does every worksite have a union steward then? Yes, every worksite has multiple union stewards. Has multiple, okay. And we try to set up a steward for every shift, a minimum of one steward per shift or per classification. That way there's somebody right next to them that's their friend that they're working with that's their steward that can help them out. And so um, you have to actually look at multiple times of day too, it sounds like, to meet with members because you have do you have people working 24 24/7? 24 7. Oh yeah, I we would do barn visits at three and four in the morning if that's when they're on break and we can see that's where we're at. Wow, because you can probably only visit with them during certain times during the workday, right? It makes it easier, yeah. If they're not at lunch or break, they don't have time to really talk to you. You can walk around and try to visit with them, but they're busy. They're doing their job, right. so you want to catch them and. I know even when I was local <coughs> president, we, we were only allowed to actually go in during before or after the school day or during the lunch period when people weren't working. So, But, of course, we had a regular day, whereas you, you're talking about you have to be there three different, three different shifts. Yeah, and it depends on the location. Some locations are a little touchier about the union rep just walking around. Some I can just kind of do what I want and wander around the plant okay. and the warehouse. And uh -huh. It just depends on the how union or not union friendly the, the, that makes the company is. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that one. Uh, having multiple locations does kind of change things up a little bit. So, so Jerry, if somebody was interested in being a Teamster in your local, how would they get started? Do you, do you have jobs right now that people could, could apply for? That we do they don't hire through the, we don't do hire through the hall but we could if they call the hall and they they call me anytime i'll send anybody who's looking for work tell them who we have hiring and they can go out and do that if they already have a job and they're interested in becoming a teamster i'd love to help we call it, you know organizing i'd love to help organize them and if they're teamsters and they, if they wouldn't fit within our local i'd get them lined up with what local or what union they would fit within so uh, anybody who wants to be union please feel free to call me or any of us here at the table, I'm sure. So if they call your local office, you could be able to get them in touch with I, places where there are jobs and direct them where to yes, where could. to go to. Okay. We have uh, several companies here in Kansas City, where almost all of my companies right now are shorthanded. So there's jobs everywhere. Well, everywhere. I know I hear ads on the radio all the time about the need for truck drivers. If you have a class age CDL right now, you can name your price from where you're going to work. They're hard to get drunk drivers right now. Are most of the truck driver jobs union, or does it really vary a lot? It varies a lot. It's just like the rest of the industries. Okay. It's about 7% probably, about the same as everybody else. Uh, moving into a long-term career as a Teamster, uh, tell our audience what they can expect over their career all the way into retirement. Well, you start as a career and... First time you hire in, you wonder how somebody works here 20 years when you hear them say it. <laughs> then 20 years later, you wonder how you're there that long. 
you have good health care, you take care of your family, you feed them, and then you can retire and enjoy the rest of your life. Yeah, that's it's what unions all about. Take care of that family and have a retirement. Is the retirement through the Teamsters Union or is it through the various companies? We have some companies that are signed on to the Teamster retirements and some have their own, but they are all negotiated through our contracts. Okay. So we, even if it's a company uh, 401k 401k plan or pension, we do negotiate it to to make sure there's wages there that they can retire on. Okay. Um, let's go back a little bit to what you. We touched on about um, women getting jobs and that would be Teamster Union jobs. And let's also talk about people of color in terms of getting those kinds of jobs. Uh, and I think you said you don't really feel like a lot of women apply for those jobs. And we're going to interview, I think, your mom in the second half of the show. She's a wonderful exception. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to look forward to hearing about her story. But what, why do you think that is, that you don't, you don't get women or do you, I, do you get people of color also? People of color and, uh, and people of all different nationalities, we do get. We don't okay. have any issues there. But women, and I, I, I don't know the answer. I wish I did because there's nothing in any of our warehouses or driving jobs that women can't do. My daughter actually is working in a warehouse that I represent now and enjoys it. So I, I really don't know why that is because they're great jobs. And I don't know if they're afraid to try them, if they're afraid of what those guys in those warehouses are like or what it is. But whatever it is, I wish we could figure it out and help them get past it because they're well, great maybe, jobs. Maybe somebody will hear it on the radio today and decide to, to give you a call. Give me a call. I'll help you out. Are you are you able to give your phone number over the yes, over the uh, radio station? Could you go ahead and give your phone yeah, number? My, my office number is eight one six nine two three thirty five hundred. Okay, eight one six nine two three thirty five hundred. Okay, that's great. So and if anybody out there is thinking about a job that sounds like you have good pay, good health care, we have some great jobs. Yes, yeah. and would lo I'd love to help anybody out that's what we're looking for. Do most of them have to have a high school diploma? No, they don't even have to. Have, how that, about a GED? No, if you're yeah. one, and most of the jobs that are, are we're discussing with warehouses, you don't have to have a GED for them. Okay. So if you're having troubles getting a job because of that, feel free to call me. We'll help you out. You just have to show up for work every day. Be at work every day and do your best. What That's about all drug testing? All of our companies do some drug testing, but majority of them now no longer test for THC. So oh, okay. marijuana since. Medical, I guess since it's going to be legal and, here yeah. in Missouri. <laughs> Unless you're a truck driver. <laughs> oh, well, of course, that's a driving. That's federal. Right. Yeah, right, so, right. But yeah, but for most of our warehouses, they don't they don't test for that anymore. Okay, okay. Just don't come to work high. Okay, that's, that's good. Well, in the uh, few minutes we have left, uh, I want to give you guys a giant pat on the back. A few years ago, the CWA local down in Corpus Christi, a hurricane came through, and they were completely out of water. And they had, they were in dire straits, and the the president of the CWA of the local 6360, Jeff Hayes, he contacted you, and we were able to partner, and uh, you and your mom took a whole truckload oh of gosh. supplies down to Corpus <laughs> Christi, and we still appreciate that. That was a, that I had a lot of fun on that trip. <laughs> it was it was really nice. Uh, Something that people don't realize a lot of our unions do is stuff like this. They help out communities, especially when they're in trouble. And that was one where. Like I said, they're out of water. They needed it. We hooked up. You guys purchased some water. We purchased some water. We filled the tr tractor trailer full, and then got lucky. I got to ride with my mom and drive with my mom in the truck. Took her down there. <laughs> One of the cool thing we got down there, the CWA local that was there to help us unload to get it to the community. The president of that local was a female, and she brought her mom with her that was one of her members. So oh. here I was, me and my mom was a member. Her and her mom. It was really, it was, it was really neat. But we. I, I was glad you gave us the opportunity to join you with that because it was a lot of fun. I hope we get to do something like that again. It was fun partnering with you. Oh, uh, thank you for listening to the Heartland Labor Forum. I'm Judy Morgan, and with my co-host co Tom Gepkin, Jerry Wood, president, business agent of the Teamsters Local 955. We really appreciated being with you tonight, and we learned a lot, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Jerry. Catch the local showcase every Thursday night on KKFI, where we highlight local musicians, poets, artists, and events from the Kansas City and surrounding areas. Curated and brought to you by a different KKFI host from week to week. 
That's The Local Showcase, every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m., right here on 90.1 FM, KKFI. Most times, KKFI moves against the stream, but just saying, play KKFI to your smart speaker will bring our stream to you. KKFI, wherever you are. And that was Truck Driving Woman by Patricia McGuire. And we played that song. I'm Judy Ansel, by the way. We played that song because we got a Truck Driving Woman right here. And that's Jenny Agee. You just heard from Jerry Wood. She's his mother. Or you're his, well, whatever. (laughs) I want to know, did your daddy teach you everything you know? (laughs) My daddy taught me what he could. He was a diesel mechanic. Ah. And drove a lot of farm equipment. I learned a lot on that, too. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, Jenny Agee drove a truck for 40 years as a Teamster Union driver. She also has been an active active with the Teamsters Union for more than 47 years. You're about to get a pin, I imagine, uh, pretty soon, right? I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. And, um, and she's also been an organizer. Yes. So uh, that's quite a career, Jenny. Um, what made you decide you wanted to be a truck driver? I had three little kids. My ex-husband had left, and uh. I had to feed him. I tried to do it on traditionally women's jobs, and I was having to have government assistance, and I wasn't going to raise my kids on welfare, so I had to go into a man's job. Back then, that was a man's job. And affirmative action had just started going into effect, and Bless they were it. hiring women. <laughs> so they had to hire women, right? They had to, uh, that or pay a fine. Yeah, tell me and what your reception was when you applied. Well, the company itself, they were just biting their tongues and doing it. Mm-hmm. The men, once I got in there, they had got together and made a pact. We don't speak to the women, and they'll go away. Ah, And nobody spoke to me for probably about the the first 30 days. So who trained you? Uh, They had um, some of the senior drivers that they actually had hired or were paying them extra Ah. to teach us to load and and different things. Mm -hmm. And so were there any other women? Actually, there was, it started out with about 30 of them. Really? But... By the end of the 30 day, it was 30 day probation, uh-huh. and by the end of the 30 days, there were five of us. Wow. What and why do you think that was? Was it the the cold shoulder they were getting from everybody else? A lot of it was, and a lot of it was that women they came in with the attitude that the men were supposed to change their culture for us, yeah, instead of realizing no, we're walking into their world. Mm-hmm. And they just wouldn't tolerate so, it. So what, there's a lot of foul language? and Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bunches. Yeah, we can't say those words on the radio. But, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, I think, you know, what I've heard stories like this, and I've encountered some of this too, is they said those words just to see if they could get your goat. Actually, no, not no? so much. It was how they talked. It was just how now, they Now, there yeah. was a lot of... Um, uh, it became friendly teasing after 
we got it mm-hmm. I got accepted but before that there was a lot of some snide remarks and propositions and such just trying to run the women off yeah you got to be thick-skinned you better yeah you know I I worked in a factory around the same time when did you start 75 75 okay I, I started working in a in a factory I was a member of the steelworkers union here in Kansas in Kansas City Kansas and one of the things I remember was that after a while, I got accepted as one of the workers. Yes. There were very few women there, though. But there were also the office workers, and they were all women. And they had to walk through the plant to get to the back office. And the way they treated those women was totally different from the way they treated me. You know, And I just thought it was really interesting. You know, like They were fair game, but I was a member of the union member of the union and you also once you showed them you could and would do the job that's Uh how i finally got accepted yeah was showing them yeah not only will i do it i can do it and the old adage was true they said a woman couldn't be as good as a man beside her she had to be better that's the truth that's the truth (laughs) you had to absolutely excel at what you were doing to ever be accepted so how hard was the job when I started there, most of the meat coming into Kansas City was swinging, and you had to be able to pull swinging beef, and that's how I got accepted. I, if you didn't get a hold of it just right, you'd get that little steel wheel right in the middle of your head, and one of the guys on the meat dock had grabbed it wrong, and he couldn't move. If he'd move, that steel wheel was going to come down, so I just politely walked over and asked him. I said, well, Dick, and I help you and through gritted teeth he said yes mm-hmm. and after i did i grabbed it and took the pressure off so he could change his grip uh-huh. that's when they started talking to me really yeah when they saw that you were actually willing to willing go. and able to do it yeah but yeah. how'd you learn to do it you just figured it out yeah, yeah. i mean there's you just kind of watch what's going on, and then you do it. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you didn't need a, uh, a commercial driver's license in those days, right? Nope. Just okay. You just got you. Oh, you need a chauffeur's license. Yep. So was driving the truck actually, you were delivering stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. Was driving the truck actually hard? Well, I lucked out there. I, when I first hired in, hire, new hires worked the dock loading the trucks. Uh-huh. But when you, and that was a night job. When you were done at night, the trucks, we hooked up and lined up the trucks for the drivers coming in in the morning. Mm -hmm. My first 30 days, I had a chance to actually hook them up, drive them, play with them. They didn't care if I was driving around in the lot. And so I had that time. So you practiced. Oh, boy, did I. (laughs) What was the difference in the wages between what you were making as a truck driver and what you made in those, you said, mostly women jobs? I honestly cannot remember exactly what the minimum wage was. Uh-huh. There was a lot of waitressing work, and you got minimum wage and tips. Yeah. But I think it was a dollar or less was the minimum wage at that time, because when I started, you got 30-day probation, then you went straight to scale. Scale was $5 an hour, and yeah. that was the last time that my kids had any welfare assistance. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. And you got benefits, too, I imagine. Uh, they had insurance. I read, it's a good thing because the gentleman that just interviewed a while ago broke bones regular. <laughs> so, yeah, he was fully insured. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I had a college education. I had a master's degree, and the only job I could get was as an adjunct or a part-time teacher. I taught at KCK Community College. I taught at Longview Community College. I taught at Avila. And not, and, and they would pay you by the course, kind of like piece rate. You know, and the most I ever made per course was, I think, 2500 at those day in those times. I, no, it was probably less, 2000 And you couldn't live on it, and there were no benefits. And, um, you know, you, you were making less than minimum wage when you figured out the, the hours. And finally I said, screw this. And I went and got a factory job. And, I, uh, and uh, you know, I, I started making decent money and had benefits uh, as a member of the Steelworkers Union. 
you know, so I can, you know, I really understand that, you know, even with a college education, you still couldn't make a living as a woman, you know? Because you're a woman. Yeah, because you're and a woman. And that's something I've noticed, too. You said you did that teaching at all. Once you, once I got into the union job, driving the truck, the men I worked with, predominantly men, I had a level of respect that I wasn't ready for, after doing it so many years, I'd forgot what it was like. When I was no longer driving, I don't get the respect like I had then. Really? And I don't like it. Yeah. I don't want to be respected for being a woman, but for what I, I <laughs> want to earn do. it. Yeah, right. And that's the way it was. Yeah. Well, you know, I had uh, experience where I wanted to work on, an, on a lathe, in, mm. in the machine shop. And what I was doing was assembling. Uh, I was tying motors, you know, like little knots all day long. Really boring. <laughs> and and so I actually went and took a uh, a machining class at, at the uh, Voc Tech school. Cool. And I bid on a, a job, and I got a low-level lathe job. And then I bid on a bigger lathe, a horizontal turret lathe, which is like the size of a big car. And... <laughs> The company um, said, no, I couldn't do it. You, and they gave the job to somebody with less seniority than me, a man. And my union president, bless him, came around and he said, hey, they just violated the contract. Do you want to grieve it? And I said, damn right, I want to grieve it. <laughs> you know? and, and so um, they, the personnel guy called me into his office and he gave me a test. Nobody else had ever had a test. I passed his test. It was on the speed at which you machine brass. You know, it was like pretty obscure stuff, but I just took taking this class. So then they haul me over to uh, the uh, another machine shop in the place, and there's a whole line of guys standing around the machine with their arms crossed like this because they were going to test me on the machine, and um, and a and a lathe. You have to tighten it down so that the part doesn't fly out when you start turning the lathe. And you usually use a bar, which is called a cheater bar, to tighten it down with. Yeah. And I look there, and I say, where's the cheater bar? And a guy sheepishly pulls the cheater bar out from behind him. They were hiding it. Oh, that's You know, and they finally had to give me the job. You know, but without my union president and the grievance procedure, of course— I would still be tying motors, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. Uh, but that kind of discrimination was like normal. It was. Yeah, and 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 I remember then the Office of Federal Contract Compliance came into the place and did a whole audit, and then they had to hire more women. But I don't know. Did you ever have any experience like that with, with the government getting involved? No, yeah. I never, and I would never. I wouldn't go to human resources because I didn't think they were real smart. I never was involved in any discrimination, uh, equal rights, EEOC, whatever. I, I stayed clear of all that. Uh-huh. Well, you managed to, to get ahead anyway, yeah. right? <laughs> so uh, we're talking to Jenny Agee, who was a truck driver in the Teamsters Union, Local 955, for 40 years. Yeah. Did it get easier or harder? I fell in love with the job. There uh, was nothing hard about What did you love job. about it? Driving those trucks. There is something, the power. And really? Yeah, you get behind that wheel, it's a trip. Yeah, you're way up there, right? You're way up there. These were big trucks, right? These were like... Well, uh, for several years, most of my years at Safeway, I pulled doubles down to Kansas Turnpike. Uh, I've got 120 foot of trade... Uh, tractor and trailer and 120,000 pounds of goods. And how far out of town would you go? Wichita. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. And it's, no, and I still, that's the only, That's the one thing I miss, and I don't miss it too bad because I get to drive the Teamster truck regular. <laughs> oh, the Teamster truck that goes and does things like take water yeah, I, to I, Florida, I, which we just heard about. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to devise some trip for you uh, <laughs> for some nonprofit or something. <laughs> so, okay, so at some point you became an organizer. Yes, Is after that because I retired. You, you re, oh, you retired, 
Mm-hmm. And then you became an organizer for 955. Yes. Well, that's a big that's a big difference, right? It is a big difference, but I think it was a very smart thing that Jerry did by using his retirees. He he got the international to come in and give a class, actually teach us mm-hmm. what to do and how to do it and So did you succeed in organizing anything? The first one he sent me out on, I got organized. I I almost had a nervous breakdown, but we, <laughs> Why? they, well, I had a little, it was mostly women, and I've worked all my life with men, and I had one that was absolutely against the union. She was working behind me, and I'm trying to get along with women that are crying and handle her who is trying to sabotage the whole situation and what kind of place was it a school bus oh the school buses Uh uh-huh yeah okay (laughs) and but i i actually got it done (laughs) but i also told jerry i wouldn't do any more school buses Mm. so what else did you organize i i that's the only one that i've led Mm. i've helped with um no, oh, I forgot the name of them. They're up by the airport. Uh, that uh, warehouse. A warehouse. Uh huh. I helped with that one, and then uh, we've got several that we're still talking to now. You're still an organizer. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. No, as I keeps me off the street. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I know there's a lot of need for organizing, for heaven's sakes. I mean, you know, like we've got plenty of warehouses, as Jerry was saying, that that are unorganized. And truck drivers, etc. There are. And it's also just like the reason that I needed to get a man's job to support my kid. We've got a lot of other women and some men out there that need the same thing. Union job. I actually have suffered no discrimination. I've been paid the same thing as the man beside me, and people need to know that that union is not, it's not the mob, it's not gonna screw, you know, rip you off or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, you're part of it, and it can help you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like the organizing. So, you know, like as far as when you, as a member, as when you were a truck driver and as a member of the Teamsters Union, I assume you went to union meetings, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the Teamsters is called a brotherhood, right? I think they had a debate a few years ago about whether to get rid of the brotherhood name, but they didn't, you know. But um, what were you part of that brotherhood? Yes, I was. Uh-huh. And I, I didn't know how to describe it, and I told I told my son one time, I said, it's, I, I think he asked what I was doing out there or something. I said, well, it's kind of like I'm just, you know, a part of the furniture, you know, there's the chair, there's the table, there's Jenny. <laughs> I, I was accepted if they, I've been in more than one time in uh, executive board meetings because it happened to be in an adjacent office where I was doing something. I shouldn't have been there. But it was just Jenna. Yeah, I mean, she. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, I should mention that you also have a grandson who's a labor lawyer. Oh yes. Right. I'm he was a student of mine him. at UMKC. So, uh, you know, I was pleased to see that he became a labor lawyer. So yes. you are thoroughly, thoroughly a labor family, right? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. and very proud of it. Well, thank you very much, Jenny Agee. Uh, Jenny Agee was a truck driver and an organizer and a grandmother. Right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. Good evening, and welcome to Remember Our Struggle. I'm Ariana Eckelblockman. Tonight, I'm going to tell you about a group of workers who were told they didn't have a right to strike, but did it anyway the great U.S. Postal Strike of 1970. Being a union member, I told everyone it was my duty to join the strike. I said, well, if this means there's going to be improvements and changes, I have to get involved. 
Those are the words of retired APWU Northeast Region Retiree Convention Delegate and Striker Dolores Young. Newsweek hailed it as the day the mail stopped. At the time, not only was the pay within the Postal Service ridiculously low, forcing many government employees to rely on government assistance programs like food stamps, but the working conditions themselves were also ridiculous. Nobody knew in advance how many hours they would even work and would have to hang out on call in the swing room, unpaid, waiting for mail to arrive. It could take as long as 12 hours of time to get maybe 8 hours of pay. Adding insult to injury is the fact that people of color were largely shut out of higher-paying jobs at the time, leaving many with few choices besides positions such as those offered by the Postal Service. Postal Service pay in New York City was reportedly 26% of the rate given to sanitation workers and 50% of the rate given to police and transport workers. The straw that broke the proverbial camel's back came on March 12, 1970. Congress voted for its own members to receive an incredible 41% pay hike, while ignoring years of pleas for postal worker raises by giving them a mere 5.1% pay increase, which was less than inflation. Just six days later, the letter carriers of New York City's Branch 36 had voted to break the law and go on strike. These people were led by a bold rank-and-file caucus, as was characteristic of the strike generally. Organization, communication, and coordination were largely achieved in a decentralized and autonomous manner, with pressures and demands being applied upon union leadership from below. Members of the Manhattan Bronx Postal Union refused to cross Branch 36's picket line and joined them on strike on March 21st. In short order, the strike had spread across the country and was estimated to include about 200,000 workers from 671 locations from New England to California. Time magazine referred to it as the largest ever walkout against the government. The U.S. Department of the Inspector General has this to say on its website. The strike shut down New York's financial industry, kept 9,000 youths from receiving draft notices, delayed the mailing of census forms and tax refunds, and generally disrupted the country's communications. In an effort to break the strike, President Richard Nixon sent some 23,000 National Guard to the area with orders to deliver the mail themselves if necessary. But it turns out they didn't have the skills or training to actually make that happen. In fact, it went so badly, negotiations started by March 25th. Within just one day, a preliminary agreement had been reached, and people returned to work with a pay raise of 6%. Postal workers won a big victory when Congress passed the Postal Reorganization Act of 1970, which acknowledged their right to bargain collectively for better working conditions and pay, and gave them an 8% raise. Reportedly, no employees were punished for their participation in the strike. According to retired APWU clerk Eleanor Bailey, you've got to have a goal. Our goal was for a better salary and a lot of changes in the workplace. I hope you have enjoyed the story of the 1970 postal strike. Have a great evening, everyone. gotta go down, you gotta go down, and join the union, and join the union, you gotta join, you gotta join, join it by yourself, ain't nobody here, ain't nobody can join it for you, you gotta go down and join the union by yourself. And now for the Heartland Labor Forum calendar. Uh, the American Postal Workers is collecting new toys for Toys for Tots through December 13th. You can get a, a toy and bring it to the APWU Hall at 3824 East 16th Street, Kansas City, Missouri. That's right across from that big post office building over off of, uh, what is that, Truman Road? Yeah. Uh, Casey Tennant's last listening session on climate and economic justice that what kind of Kansas City do you want Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. at Trinity United Methodist Church, 620 East Armor Boulevard in Kansas City. The Unitarian Universalist Forum is on Elections 2022, How Safe is American Democracy? with Michael A. Smith, who's a political science uh, professor from Emporia State. Uh, Sunday, December 11th, 9.30 a.m. at the uh, UU Church at 4501 Walnut, 
Conover Hall or an online link. To get it, you go to allsoulskc.org and look for the forum. And Kansas Governor Kelly is having a virtual job fair on December 14th, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You register at app.premiervirtual.com. We're going to put our calendar on our Facebook page, Heartland Labor Forum Facebook page, where you can find the links. There are several positions for organizers open. Starbucks Workers United has an organizer position open for the Kansas City area. The job is with the Chicago and Midwest Regional Joint Board of Workers United. For more information, go to unionjobs.com and look for Workers United. The Missouri Workers Center is hiring, and so are the Kansas City. So is the Kansas City Federation of Teachers. Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft wants to reduce community access to public library books and other resources. A public comment period runs through Wednesday, December 14th, 2022, giving you a chance to speak up for libraries and for your right to read. Contact the Secretary of State's office at comments at sos.mo.gov. For more information on this, contact the Kansas City Public Library. Uh, email us at heartlandlaborforumkkfi at gmail.com with your comments, suggestions, or if you want to volunteer and become a radio personality yourself. That's it for tonight's show. Tune in next week. Our show is called The Corporatization of the News Media and Independence Public Employees' New Health Plan. Stay well or else. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Check out the rich diversity of programming related to workers and unions at laborradionetwork.org. Thanks to tonight's engineer, Stephen Hill. And stay tuned for the Thursday night special. It's Shots in the Night Radio Theater. listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, a show by and about workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. We are radio that talks back to the boss. And you can talk back to us, too. Send us your feedback, your workplace stories, news, and ideas for shows to heartlandlaborforumkkfi at gmail.com. Our website, where we archive shows and post our upcoming ones, is heartlandlaborforum.org. The views expressed on this show are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any of the unions involved. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 or to our rebroadcast Friday mornings at 5 right here, 90.1 FM, KKFI. We still got our because we are the working class and that's the place to be.
No one can deny.